Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Food, water, oxygen, clothing, and shelter. These are the five agreed-upon essentials for human life. That's what apparently have been decided as the must-haves. We need these to live. Now, there are other things that different groups advocate for that should be in those top five, or at least closely following, maybe number six, maybe number seven. Uh, One group insists that hugs are essential for life and should be in the top five. Another group advocates and says, well, procreation is essential. That should be in the top five. Uh, Another group says that coffee should be in the top five. It is essential for life. Uh, One survey of over 2,000 people actually said that the top thing uh, beyond these first five, that the number six essential for life is internet. Uh, 2,000 people, internet. Now, these things might be good and they may be important, but again, all these other ideas, they have not eclipsed those top five things yet. Food, water, oxygen, clothing, and shelter. They have been deemed to be the most important things. Essentials. What about in the church, though? What are the things that we would be deeming as essential? What are the must-haves? What are the most important things, practices, ideas, the essentials for the church? What are the top priorities of the local church? Well, in Acts 2, 1 to 40, we learned that something spectacular happened in, to, and through the disciples when the Holy Spirit came, right? They were filled with power. They were given boldness. They were set on fire, and they they became witnesses for Jesus. And then Peter stood up, and he preached this sermon. It was powerful, and it was convicting. And verse 41 says, 3,000 people responded to this sermon, and they were Baptized. They believed the gospel, they were baptized, and they joined the church. So what do you do when you go from 120 people to 3,000 people in one day? How do you maintain the fire? How do you keep momentum? How do you gain traction? How do you decide what types of things this now mega church, don't want to use that word, but maybe now this mega church, from small church to mega church, what do we do? What do we focus on? What are the top priorities going to be for this group? What we're going to see in Acts 2, 41 to 47 is that there's four priorities that are established to help keep the fire going, to help increase the spread of the gospel. And we're going to look at these four essentials, and we're going to talk about the results of being devoted to these essentials, and we're going to see and look at what this means for us today in 2018. So before we get into those essentials, just a note on verse 41 where it says those who received his word were baptized and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. They received the word and were baptized. People heard the good news, the gospel, that Jesus had come to earth, had lived the perfect life, that he died in their place, that he suffered the wrath of God, paid the penalty for them. He was buried, but then he was raised to life. And now that there is forgiveness available for all who trust in him, people heard that. And they believed that, and it says, and they were baptized. It says that day. So the reason that I just want to talk about that for a second is we have kind of a historically delayed baptism 
for a number of reasons. But what we see in the pages of the New Testament is when people believe, they are baptized. Uh, there isn't generally this long waiting period. And why am I talking about this? Well, it's because we're doing a baptism service on Easter Sunday. And we would like to encourage you, if you haven't yet been baptized since believing in Jesus, please speak to me, talk to one of our elders about signing up for baptism on Easter Sunday. If Easter Sunday doesn't work for you, that's okay. We're going to do one the next Sunday. If you're away Easter Sunday, it's fine. April the 8th, we're going to have two baptism services back to back. And remember, baptism doesn't save you. Right? Salvation is by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But baptism is a step of obedience for believers in Jesus. It's a public declaration that we belong to Jesus, that we're part of his family. So we encourage you to be baptized if you haven't yet. Now we go back to verse 42 and we see these four priorities that we're going to be focusing on this morning. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. This is the core of what the church is and what it does, the essentials. So let's talk about the apostles' teaching here. So this community, baby church, infant church, just starting, like 2,800 people just joined, right? You had 120 who kind of knew their stuff, knew what was going on, and then all these new people. How are they going to learn what it means to be the church? What are They've got to ask the apostles, because the apostles were the ones who had been with Jesus. That's why it says they were devoted to the apostles' teaching, and not necessarily does it say they were devoted to the scriptures. You might say, why doesn't it just say they're devoted to the word? Because they didn't have the New Testament. They were living the New Testament. They couldn't just take it home and read about it. This has just happened. And so the apostles had seen it, they had heard it, they had been with Jesus, and so these people come to the apostles and say, teach us. They were devoted to them. They needed this. They craved this as much as they could. It wasn't probably once a week, right? Where are those 12 guys? We've got to find those 12 guys. We've got to hear more about Jesus. Who was he? What did he do? How did he teach? What did he command? What is he asking us to do? How do we live now as followers of Jesus? That is what was going on there. Um, just as a reminder, what does it mean to be devoted to something? It means to be dedicated, to be focused, loyal, to be disciplined. And that's what they were, focused on learning the apostles' teaching, learning about Jesus. So again, they didn't have the Bible, but here we are 2,000 years later. We've got the New Testament written down. We've got the whole complete written word of God right here, accessible. We've got more access to the Bible than at any point in history. Physical Bibles, Bible apps, online softwares, audio sermons, podcasts, all sorts of other articles and books about the Bible to help you. And are we taking advantage of it? Imagine if the early church had the access to the Bible that we had today. They had to go looking around for those 12 guys. 3,000 people. Where are those 12 guys? We, we can just open it at any time. But do we? Would we say that we're devoted to the Bible? See, the bottom line is, if this really is the word of God, if these are words of the creator of the universe, which I believe it is, you would think then it should have a pretty high priority in our life. Top, right? But see, here's the thing. Being devoted to the word, like being devoted to anything, takes time. It takes energy, right? It takes commitment. It doesn't just happen. 
And in order to be devoted to the Word, in order to be devoted to anything, you're probably going to have to be less devoted to something else, right? In order to say yes to something, you probably have to say no to something or multiple things. So the Olympics are wrapping up. It's been exciting. But you think about these Olympic athletes who train for four years to compete, some of them, in just one event. Four years devoted. Think about the number of things they say no to because they're like, no, 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 I need to focus so that I'm ready, I'm prepared, and I can compete and hopefully win. In the same way, if we're going to be devoted to the teaching of the Bible, we're likely going to have to say no to things, even good things, so that we can say yes to the best things. Does that make sense? Some of us, that might mean we might have to um, tone it down a little bit on our TV consumption or our Netflix binging. If we're honest, if we want to be devoted to the Word, others that might be social media or just our phones, internet, whatever, YouTube, the time just disappears. Oh, another video, another video, another video. It's easy to be devoted to other things. If we're going to be devoted to the Word of God, we have to, each one of us, examine our lives, myself included. I'm not, I'm not trying to, you know, whatever. We all need to examine and say, okay, Am I really devoted to this? Am I really devoted to the Word of God? The early church was. They said, we need to learn. We need to know. We need to apply. We need to follow. Essential, top priority. The second thing that they listed as an essential priority was fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. Now, fellowship is kind of an interesting word. It kind of gets tossed around a lot at church. You know, oh, we had such a great time of fellowship at the, the men's breakfast the other day, as an example. It's just, but what does that word actually mean, fellowship? It's one of those Christianese types of terms, right? But how many of us take the time to say, what does this word mean? The word actually means participation or sharing. So we can say that since these people had been united together through their common faith in Christ, they'd become believers in Jesus, that now these believers were devoted to sharing, devoted to participating in various acts of life together. All right? So this could include sharing possessions with one another, which we read about in verse 44 and 45, which we'll get to in a second. So fellowship is meant to be more than just simply hanging out, you know, Inviting a couple of friends over from church to watch the game and have some wings, that's not bad, but it's not necessarily fellowship, right? It's just hanging out with your friends. Now, it could be fellowship if, say, maybe before you watch the game or after you watch the game, you start talking, hey, what have you been learning about the Lord? What's going on in your life? How can I help you guys? And you get to that depth, um, thinking about things of the Lord, then it kind of gets into that realm of fellowship because fellowship is rooted in Christ and focused on him. Being devoted to fellowship, that's going to mean surrounding yourself and being surrounded by other believers. Surrounding yourself with believers, spending time with believers, journeying together, growing together, supporting each other. Christianity is not a solo sport. It's not going to work if you try to do it by yourself. It's not going to work if you isolate yourself. We're not meant to isolate ourselves. I spent most of my time as a pastor specifically uh, ministering to, to youth and young adults. And over those years, uh, one of the main questions that people have asked me is uh, why so many teens and college kids uh, struggle with or seem to walk away from the church at different points in life. And that's a big question. I think there's a lots of factors. But one reason is because lack of fellowship. 
lack of genuine Christian community. Now, some kids will grow up going to church, then they, they attend youth group faithfully, and maybe they serve at summer camp, and, and things are good, and they're doing well in those times because they're with other people who are believing similar things and encouraging them along the way. They've got friendships, and, and there's a lot of connection there. But what happens when that connection, that stage of life ends? They transition out of that. They stop going to camp. They, they graduate high school. They stop going to youth group. They move away, go to a different town, whatever. What happens if they don't then choose to invest in Christian community after that? Generally, what happens is church attendance just kind of slips and kind of dies. Bible reading and prayer decrease, and it's just replaced with other things. And this isn't just for teenagers or, or college kids. This is for everybody. We need fellowship. We need fellowship. We, we need to be encouraged. We need other people speaking into our lives. Listen to uh, Hebrews 10, 24 to 25. It says, Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, a.k.a. we need each other's help to do this towards love and good works. If I'm by myself, I'm liable to not be loving and doing a lot of good works. I need someone to come alongside, give me a little bit of motivation. Let us consider how we can stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We need to meet together. We need to be together. We need to challenge each other. We need to encourage each other. Can I please, can I please just ask you, invest in fellowship. Invest in Christian community. Don't go solo. Participate. Open up and share. I know it can be difficult, and there's all sorts of different personality types and all that type of stuff, but commit to being uh, one who shares with the other believers. Because the church can't support and care for people if they don't know anything about them. Right? It's really hard to know if someone's got a need if nobody knows. It's never made known, made public at all. So please, commit yourself to fellowship like the early church did. The next thing that we find here is the commitment, the devotion to the breaking of bread. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread. So this is one example of how the church had fellowship. They met together and ate together. Okay, so... Um, yes, breaking of bread definitely refers to specifically uh, celebrating, remembering the Lord's Supper, practicing communion, right? Where Jesus gave them the command, do this in remembrance, be, in remembrance of me, right? The bread symbolizes and representing his body. The wine symbolizing and representing his blood. And so this was a, a ceremony that was practiced in the early church. They devoted themselves to this. We've got to remember this. Jesus told us to do this. We're going to do this. And this has carried on throughout the history of the church. Here we are, 2018, churches are still celebrating communion. We do it roughly about every six weeks, all together as a congregation. That doesn't mean you have to wait every six weeks to, to celebrate communion. You can do that with a smaller group. Did you know that? You, you can do that. But is this just talking about getting together and celebrating communion? Lots of scholars say, no, no, no. Um, while it definitely talks about communion, it also talks about just simply getting together and sharing meals together. There was 3,000 people. <clears throat> Excuse me. It's hard to get to know 3,000 people. All right? They all show up at the temple courtyard. Oh, hey, have you seen Tommy? Which one's Tommy? There's 3,000 people. I don't know. 
So how are they going to get to know each other? How are they really going to be devoted to fellowship? They ate together. They invited people over to their homes. Verse 46 says they invited people over to their homes day by day. Man, don't you love it when the Bible tells you to eat? I think it's a good deal. Now, Brandy and I, we've, we've tried to practice this. We've tried to be devoted to this and, and hosting people and having people over for, for meals as much as we can. And it can be hard work sometimes. You've got a busy week or crazy stuff's going on. You've got three kids and the house is just a mess because, hey, three kids, it is. But we've found it so valuable. There's just, there's just something about sitting around a table and, and, and food just kind of breaks down barriers. And, and we've had some of the best conversations probably in our lives, sitting around having a meal with people. It's such a great way to get to know each other. So I encourage you to do this. Um, don't be the person who, who waits, oh, I'm not going to do it until somebody invites me. No, take the initiative and invite somebody over. And if you're, if you're like not a great cook, that's okay, neither am I. Um, ask for help, right? So if you invite somebody over and say, hey, how about... Um, I'll do the chicken and the potatoes because I can handle that. Could you maybe bring like a cool salad because I don't know how to make one of those or, or a nice dessert? Share the load. Why not? Right? And actually what I think is more important than the quality of the food, though I mean it's good to serve good food, is the quality of the conversation. Right? You could have a hot dog with somebody and have a meaningful, amazing, deep conversation and you could have a nine-course meal and stay at the surface level. Right? doesn't mean you can't have good food, right? But chances are, the early church, a lot of the meals would be fairly simple. It's not about what we serve. It's about the fact that we're together. We're getting to know each other. We're investing in each other's lives. It's a great practice, something that the early church was devoted to. But again, it's not going to just happen. It's something you've got to be intentional at. Now, sometimes there's spontaneous moments. You bump into somebody, hey, what are you doing tonight? Nothing, nothing. Me neat. Oh, okay, cool. You want to... Come over for a dinner? Sure. Sometimes that happens. But more often than not, you're likely going to have to carve it into your schedule or leave room for it, right? And say, all right, well, next Friday, we're going we're gonna to invite somebody over. We don't know who it is yet, but we're going to invite somebody over. And It's going to take devotion. But imagine what can happen with our church if, if we all start hanging out together, get to know each other more than just Sunday morning. Sunday morning is great, but it's not enough. It's really not enough. All right. The final essential priority listed in verse 42 is prayer. They were devoted to prayers. Um, most of you maybe heard that Billy Graham passed away this last week. Incredible man, used mightily by God for years as an evangelist, a bold witness for Jesus, man of integrity, but also a man of prayer. Billy Graham once said, prayer shouldn't be casual or sporadic, dictated only by the needs of the moment. Prayer should be as much a part of our lives as breathing. Essential. 1 Thessalonians 5.17 simply says, pray without ceasing. It's this idea of cultivating a lifestyle of prayer, a devotion to prayer, more than, than just as the early churches said, they, they met in the temple and they prayed. That's great, a corporate time prayer, but it's more than that. It's infusing prayer into our daily lives, adding prayer into our natural rhythms. So here's some examples. When you wake up, hopefully you have a shower. When you're showering, 
Instead of singing in the shower, if that's what you like to do, you could pray in the shower. You could. Or how about when you're driving to work or driving to wherever you're going? You have the choice. You have the power of the radio. You can choose to listen to talk radio. You can choose to listen to the news, classic rock or country. Don't know why you would pick country, but you can. (laughs) Or you could choose to just hit that little button and turn it off and pray for a little bit while you drive. And literally just talk to God out loud while you're driving. You're, you already got to drive, so might as well pray while, while you drive, right? Just thinking of ways that you can involve prayer into the life. Again, it takes intentionality. Uh, one thing uh, that, that we've been doing as a family, we, recently we started, it's called the Family Prayer Items Chart. I'm amazing at titles. Uh, that, that's just what it is. It, it, it's... We've got a piece of paper. It's got the seven days of the week, and underneath each of the days of the week has different things that we pray for as a family at supper time. So, for example, on Thursdays, it says neighbors. And we, before we eat, we just pray for our neighbors. We pray that God would do work in their hearts, that he would draw them to himself, that we would have opportunity to be witnesses and tell them about Jesus, that we would have opportunity to, to show them that we love them, care for them, and that we're here and we're part of this neighborhood. That's just one thing that we can do. But it's easy for us to just sit down and, oh, kids, oh, you know, quiet and whatever. Okay, pray, yeah, thank you for the food, amen, whatever, eat. It's easy to do that. But wait, 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 it's Thursday. What do we pray for? Th- neighbors, okay, let's pray for neighbors. And I'm going to say this. I think that of all these top priorities out of these four things that the early church devoted itself to, I think that prayer is the most difficult. I think it's the hardest. And I think so because... Uh, whenever I've tried to deepen my prayer life, and I've been like, okay, I'm going to pray more, I'm just bombarded with distractions. I'm bombarded with life circumstances, bombarded with things that just come up in my life. Why? Well, here's a reality that we need to understand. Satan doesn't want you to pray. Seriously, Satan doesn't want you to pray. He wants you to be doing any number of things other than praying. Think about it. You think Satan wants you spending your time talking to God, asking for his kingdom to come, asking for his will to be done, asking for him to change the hearts of more people and have more people believe the gospel, asking for him to unify churches and strengthen churches and bless ministries and and bring healing to people. Do you think Satan wants you to spend your time doing that? No. So it's important that we recognize that going in. There's going to be opposition if you devote yourself to prayer. But if we devote ourselves to prayer together, then we can encourage each other and stir one another up. Yes, opposition's coming, but come on, let's pray, right? You text each other, hey, keep praying. Could you pray for this? I'll pray for this. Sure, why not? Just keep going. Opposition's coming. It's always going to be there if we choose to pray. I don't want to talk about eating food too much this morning, but having people over for a meal is a way that you could actually practice all four of these essentials. If you think about it, right, you're going to break bread, that's one of them. You have people over, (coughs) excuse me, have people over, what do you talk about? You could talk about the apostles' teaching. Hey, what are you learning lately? What have you been reading lately? What did you think about the sermon lately? What a novel idea, talking about what you heard on Sunday. Um, You could do that, right? That's how the conversation starts, right? You're devoting yourself to the apostles' teaching. Then you could devote yourself to fellowship. After you talk about maybe what you've been learning, then you start talking about what's going on in your life. You start sharing with the good, the bad, the ugly, what's hard, what's going on. You talk about that. Then 
while together, you could still, you could pray for those things with each other all around a meal. And I feel bad because I know there's been times we've had people over and we've had great conversations, even stuff about, hey, what have you been learning? And then they leave and then I look at Brandy and I'm like, they shared stuff and we didn't even pray for them and they left. We let them leave. We can pray for them now, but we, why didn't we pray for them in the moment? We can do, you can do all four by having people over to your house for a meal. So I encourage you to do that. These are the four essential priorities of the church. Top, top. Other things secondary. These are top. Now we're going to look at verse 43 to 47 and see what happens as the first church devoted themselves to these things. What were the results of this devotion? Verse 43 to 47 says again, And awe came upon every soul, and many, many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Wow. That's attractive. Wouldn't that be great if that was happening all the time? Think about that. Like, let's, let's go through this. The first thing. So they have, there's awe. There's wonders, signs, miracles happening. People are in awe because of what was happening. Miracles were being done through the 12 apostles. Now remember in Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. Part of that power involved the ability to do miracles. Jesus also said in John 14.12 that the disciples would do works just like he had been doing and even greater things like that. There was never one time where Jesus preached at one time and 3,000 people came to follow him. They were already, right? He's already fulfilling his word. Now, we don't have the 12 apostles alive here doing a whole bunch of miracles for us, but God is still working. He's doing wonderful things all over the world in our church. Come on. There's, people are being healed. People are, are having jobs provided for. Uh, there's, there's a building that's been provided for us. That's something special. Um, raising up leaders within the church. Let's just talk about the church planting initiatives. Guys, if you remember, some of you have been here longer than I've been here. This started as a Bible study in a house. And now there's Gathering Windsor, and we have church planting initiatives in Goderich, Sarnia, and Nashville. You tell me God's not doing wonderful things, right? And, and lives are being changed by the gospel, which is a supernatural miracle. That's the greatest miracle that there is. Someone going from death to life. That's happening. God is working. He's on the move all the time. It's still happening. Next thing it talks about having all things in common, and this led to generosity. Now, to be clear, this doesn't mean that absolutely everything was shared by absolutely everyone. Like, there was just, like, one big giant space where everybody put everything that they had in, and you just walked by and took whatever you wanted or anything like that. Somebody walked and be like, hey, that was my barbecue. No, right? That's not what's going on here, okay? Just to be clear. This is a description of true community taking care of each other. They were selling possessions to help meet the needs of other people in the church. Think about that for a second. People sold stuff that they owned. It wasn't like, oh, we have a little bit of extra money in the bank. No, I'm going to sell this so I have extra money in the bank to help you. That is radical generosity. Radical generosity infused by the Spirit of God, but hearts that have been changed by the gospel. When the gospel reorients 
your whole worldview and your priorities. When you stop living for the rat race of materialism and personal wealth and seek first the kingdom of God. And you know what? This kind of stuff is still happening. People are still doing this. I've heard of people, they, they had maybe a bigger house. They sold the house and they downsized and they just gave the profit of what they made to the church. That happens. People have sold cars. They had maybe a fancy car. They sold it, and they drive around just a car that not as great, but it still works. And they, People have taken out stocks that they have and cashed them in and donated money. People put uh, the church like in their wills and stuff like that. People have just committed to saying, we want to seek the kingdom. We want the church to grow, and it doesn't really matter. My stuff, your stuff, who cares? It's amazing. It is happening. Next is the result was fellowship. Verse 46, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts. But Phil, you already said fellowship was one of the top priorities. Yeah, because fellowship was one of the top priorities, it produced more fellowship. The result, right? Fellowship begets fellowship. It just organically spread as more and more people uh, started buying into this. Again, the, the early church likely didn't meet together just once a week for an hour. And I think it's important for us to understand that we probably aren't going to uh, get real, deep, genuine community if all we do is say hi-bye once a week. Right? They were involved in each other's lives. They were in there. And they were praising God together because of who God was and what he had done and how Jesus had come and had redeemed them and made them a people. Next, in verse 47, it says they had favor among all the people. Favor. So when the church is devoted to these essentials and when it's empowered by the Holy Spirit, people are going to start noticing. Right? People notice what's going on. In chapter 2, they had favor with all the people. But as we'll see in the book of Acts, it doesn't stay that way. They didn't always have favor. So it's important for us to understand this is descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive like a guarantee. Oh, if we do these things, don't worry. Everyone's always going to love us all the time in the world. We may experience times as a church of favor in the public eye, in the city, and where people in general are like, hey, we love what's going on at the gathering. We love the church. Great. But we may also not experience times like that, experience times of hostility, opposition, and flat-out persecution that may happen it happened to the early church. We'll find out. Okay? So it's not a guarantee. Well, it's okay. We're going to have favor because we, we devote ourselves to fellowship. It's just describing what happened. Great if we do have favor, but again, not guaranteed. The last thing it lists is growth. The Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And so again, this section of verses is not some kind of promise formula. Oh, as long as we do, th- do these things, we're guaranteed to have new people coming to faith in Jesus every single day. It's descriptive of what happened in history. However, a healthy church that's devoted to these essentials, devoted to the Lord, devoted to one another, empowered by the Holy Spirit to be witnesses all over, is likely going to experience growth. Because if we're actually filled with the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit to go and tell other people about Jesus, chances are somebody who hears is likely going to accept it and believe it and be saved and join the church. And I think it's really important that while they were devoted to fellowship, they were also empowered by the Spirit, remember, to be witnesses 
to go out on mission. They didn't just only ever stay together in their group. And we don't want the gathering to ever just be some kind of holy huddle where we just hide from the world. We need to go out as witnesses and tell people about Jesus. That's what we've got to do. Okay? This is, like, just, just imagine for a second. Can, you can close your eyes if you need to. Imagine new people coming to faith in Jesus every single day in Windsor. Every day. I mean, it happened in Jerusalem. It could happen. It could happen. Why don't we pray for it? Why don't we ask? Let's dream big dreams. Ask God for big things. Right? Sometimes maybe we settle for small things. Like, why not? Why not say, God, why not do this again? Would you use us? Stretch us? Let's do it together? Help us? Why not? I think it would be just incredible. Can you imagine that? You just show up next week, and, and, and there's seven new people who have just become Christians already here. We're like, wow. And then the next week, seven new people. Wow. Amazing. It could happen. Let's be a church. As a gathering, let's be a church that's devoted to these essentials. Let's, let's surrender our lives to this mission, right? Let's ask the Holy Spirit to fill us each and every day so that we'll actually be faithful witnesses in Windsor, Essex, Ontario, Canada, wherever else God may send us out all the way to the ends of the earth. May we be devoted to these priorities and so bring glory to God as more lives are changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Let's pray together.